Second thing that I say is this suicide or any premature death is not God's will. And this is where people come and they say silly things sometimes. And people may say, oh, it must have been God's will. They're trying to help comfort you. But the simple fact is it's not God's will that people have illness. It's not God's will that people die early. It's not God's will that people die by suicide. And it's time we get rid of all of our belief that everything that happens in the world today is the will of God. So much of what occurs in the world today is evil. In our lives, so many things, our sins and mistakes, the accidents of life, natural disasters, the sins of other people against us do happen. And they happen for the strangest of reasons because God created us in his image with the ability to choose. He created us free. God's not a dictator. God's not even a benevolent dictator. He created us free. You can build the heart of a lion with a strong mind and spirit. Because a lion's natural state is one of safety through courage, strength, and power. Hi, I'm the shepherd and pastor, Dr. Matt Hook. And I'm the shrink, Dr. Marty Fletcher. This is the show where theology meets psychology. Or mental health meets spirituality. Welcome to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. Hey, everybody. This is the shepherd without the shrink today. Marty is on a much needed vacation, and I am glad to be able to have this chance to talk to you. You know, Marty and I cover so many different topics, and so many of them have to do with mental health and with our emotions, which of course is completely tied in with that. So many of them have to do with scripture and with Christianity and what faith components show up in our lives, and so many of them have to do with cerebral things as well as real life things. But today I want to talk to you about an awful message that hits families inevitably. And that is when somebody uh, dies, but not only when they die, but when somebody takes their own life. Suicide is one of the major issues that people still keep in the shadows despite the stats that are out there. And chances are, if you're like me, you're just constantly on alert, or maybe you're not living in fear, but you're living in concern. And you know, one of the other things that is so strange is when you find out about somebody that you care about, who has lost a loved one to suicide. And I wanted to share with you, some of this comes from messages that I'll share in a funeral service for somebody who's taken their own life. And I wanted to take some time simply to share with you some of what I have learned through the years. In the last few months, sadly, there has been a suicide in our church family. And at the end of the message, I was affirmed upon hearing a handful of people come up and say, you know what? what you said was exactly what I wish someone would have said when my brother took his life or when I was a a surviving victim of someone's suicide. And that really caught me off guard that we need some training in how to come alongside a family who has lost a loved one in this way. And so I just offer this up to you. And, you know, when it comes to messages, Marty has his website, which is Dr. Marty Fletcher. My website and the messages that I share, you could find at 
DexterUMC.org, D-E-X-T-E-R, DexterUMC.org. That's our church's website, but the messages go back years. We also have a Facebook and a YouTube channel, but sometimes you need just a little extra oomph, and that could be it for you. But when it comes to suicide, the first thing you need to do is listen. The first thing you need to do is be present. There is something called the ministry of presence, which means you just show up with somebody. You don't need to ask them questions. You just sit with them. And that's one of the most important things, even for private people and introverts. They need the presence of someone else who's just there. If you visit someone's house, you can simply make your way into the kitchen and do some dishes, or you can sit there until they say thank you. You can pray with them. Um, People don't know what to say when someone loses a loved one to death, let alone when it's an out-of-order death. In other words, when it's not someone who's lived 70 years or 80 years or 90 years, when it's somebody younger who's died, however they've died, I consider that an out-of-order death, that it's not supposed to happen that way. And we're especially unprepared for things like that. And when that is the case, everyone says, call me if you need me. But you know what? Nobody ever calls the people who say that. So you can say, call me if you need me. But then one of the better things to do would be to drop a meal off, to give them a gift card so they can order meal in to show up and cut their grass or to do the dishes or to come and vacuum their house, something that is just a token of caring, bring them cinnamon rolls, drop coffee off, whatever that might be that you could do simply to let them know, to send cards. There's something about a written note that hits people and impacts people even more so than an email or a Facebook message. So consider taking that extra time to show you care. And when it comes to suicide, it's even more important because people especially don't know what to do and don't know what to say. And a lot of people will say some really dumb things. I always have to come alongside a family who's lost a loved one, whether they've been old or young, whether they've been dying of natural causes or whether they've died of something more tragic. And I need to tell them, people are going to say dumb things to you. Don't listen to what they say. Just insert these words. I really care about you. I don't know what to say, but I'm talking anyway. And if they say God's garden need another flower in heaven, just say that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard to yourself and say, oh, thank you for showing you care. But don't take what they say seriously. Half the time we say stuff that we don't even mean, or we heard somebody say, or it just sounds trite, and it's oftentimes garbage. There are also meaningful things that people say, but the fact that someone's trying to say anything, you can take as a symbol of their love. Just don't listen to the words all the time. One of the families who went through a tragedy like this shared a song called Be Not Afraid, and it's a song by John Michael Talbot. And here's some of the words, you shall cross the barren desert, but you shall not die of thirst. You shall wander far in safety, though you do not know the way. 
You shall speak your words in foreign lands, and all will understand. You shall see the face of God and live. And the chorus says this, be not afraid. I, the Lord, go before you always. Come, follow me, and I will give you rest. You know, as the pastor coming alongside a family, I will always say this when it comes to the loss of somebody who's young or someone who's died of suicide. And some of the things that I say just need to be said. You don't beat around the bush, but it's this. I'll say this. Can I just say we are so sad and so mad and we are so hurt and it's rotten. It's rotten that the family and all the rest of you are faced with this. And one of the worst things is we'll always remember how this person ended their life. But one of the important things that you need to say to your friends who have lost a loved one is this. We do not judge someone's life by their worst moment. That goes across the board. Do not judge somebody by their worst moment. If everybody judged my life or the totality of my life based on my worst moment, I'd have no friends left. But it's important to name the emotions. I am so sad. I'm so mad. We're so hurt for you. This is rotten. For whatever reason, rotten feels like the right word. And then what I have said to families in the past is, what do we do with this? First of all, for all the rest of us, the main thing that we can do is help. The main thing we can do to help is what we're doing and what we've been doing. Be there for this family. Be there for this person. Give your time. Talk with them. Don't be afraid. Check in with them. Here's the question that I have found the most helpful, not just in a suicide situation, but even visiting somebody in the hospital or visiting somebody who's lost a loved one recently in whatever manner. And the the question is this, is it a good day or a bad day? I have found that so helpful because you're giving the permission to say it sucks and I don't feel like talking or to say it's a bad day, but thank you. Come on in. Or you know what? It's an okay day. But it shows that you are giving them permission to name what's going on. Is it a good day or a bad day? The truth is grief comes in waves. And sometimes one wave has just hit and another one is smacking down on us, especially when it's fresh and when it's new and when it's news. And people need to process. The people who are closest to the loss will need to talk and will need a safe place to talk. And professional counseling is obviously the best thing, although people may not be ready for it right away. But to listen for the time being so that then they might be able to say, you know what, this is going to be really hard. I probably do need a professional counselor. Another thing that's really helpful is to use the person's name when you can without like trying to insert it too hard. If you if they lost someone named John, it's okay to say, you know, I was thinking of John and thinking of one time when he said this to me, or one time he made me laugh because of that. When, when a family hears their loved one's name, especially if there's this shame that's attached, 
because of how they died. You unashamedly using their name can be good medicine for them. So use the person's name when you can. Another thing is, like I just said, sharing your stories. But another thing, when it comes to suicide especially, you need to know this. And the families that you come alongside need to know this. So as a pastor, what would I say in the midst of suicide? First of all, I'd say this. Taking your own life is not the unpardonable sin. People need to hear that still today. A scripture, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 tells us, for Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. Let me say that again. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous, meaning Christ himself, for the unrighteous, meaning all the rest of us, to bring you to God. Jesus wants to bring you to God. Is the way the person ended their life sin? Yes. Does sin lead to brokenness? Yes. The family that you are coming alongside of, they are broken. And then just look at the people who are so hurt by the loss of someone who takes their life. But then there's this. Does God heal sin? Yes, most definitely. Even when we've broken ourselves, yes. And for this person, the pain and the torment that he or she must have been in to apply this permanent solution to their problem they could not see a way out of is gone. Even with mental illness as a factor, God heals sin even when we have broken ourselves. The pain and the torment that they must have been in is gone. They're healed in Christ. They are with God face to face. Jesus paid the penalty for all our sin. And Romans 8.39 reminds us this. Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So first of all, taking your own life is not the unpardonable sin. Second thing that I say is this. Suicide or any premature death is not God's will. And this is where people come and they say silly things sometimes. And people may say, oh, it must have been God's will. They're trying to help comfort you. But the simple fact is it's not God's will that people have illness. It's not God's will that people die early. It's not God's will that people die by suicide. And it's time we get rid of all of our belief that everything that happens in the world today is the will of God. Let me say that again. It's about time we get rid of all of our belief that says everything that happens in the world today is the will of God. So much of what occurs in the world today is evil. In our lives, so many things, our sins and mistakes, the accidents of life, natural disasters, the sins of other people against us do happen. And they happen for the strangest of reasons because God created us in his image with the ability to choose. He created us free. God's not a dictator. God's not even a benevolent dictator. He created us free. It was an awful risk that God took in creating us like he did with the ability to choose, the ability to choose anything. He created us free. 
And so much of what occurs in the world is evil. To me, what this shows is the seriousness of sin. These things may divert, they may temporarily defeat God's good plans and purposes, but in the end, God's ultimate will can never be defeated. God is God, and we are not. One other thing that happens in every case of suicide or premature death, we want to ask, what could I have done to stop this? What could I have said to have prevented somebody from taking their own life? It's a reminder to us, there is no way to tell when a person is caving in to some inner despair or mental illness. There's no way to tell. Two things that that I learned in seminary, Marty could fill us in, is we need to, to be concerned if somebody talks about it and if they specify enough to name a place that they're considering for suicide and a method of how they would end their life. We have to take that very, very seriously. But there's no way to tell in general when a person is caving in to despair or mental illness. Chances are the person who died was doing many things right. And the truth is each one of us here struggles with which way to go all the time. But even in dark times, God calls us to life and to light and to love because that's of God. Listen to the words of the shepherd, not me, but the shepherd in Psalm 23 that begins the the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God has promised us multiple times through scriptures, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Why does God have to repeat himself multiple times? Because the Bible wasn't written on a mountaintop. It was written in the midst of real life, of wars, of depression, of messy relationships, of tragedy, of brokenness. And it's just like today. God has given us one another to walk with, to offer encouragement, to offer hope and a fresh perspective, which is hopefully a God perspective as well. One of the biggest things that people who deal with suicide as a survivor, one of the biggest challenges is we have to go on living without understanding, but trusting nevertheless. We can think we're in control or we can do our part and trust God in everything. The truth is God is God of our lives and God is still God after we die. We are utterly dependent on God, even for our next breath. As parents, our job is to catch our kids when they fall, but when our own arms aren't long enough to catch our kids, to catch our friends, to stop our children from falling, may we trust in God's everlasting arms, which isn't just a great gospel song, leaning on the everlasting arms. But we can trust in God's everlasting arms whose power and reach are beyond what we can think. God's power and reach are beyond anything that we can imagine in our lives as well as in death. Deuteronomy chapter 33 verse 27 says this, The eternal God is a dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. 
and he drove out the enemy from before you. When we as parents don't have the reach to catch our kids when they fall, we trust in God still. God has more invested in our loved one. God has more invested in the person, even the one who took their life, than we ever could. Isaiah chapter 40 says this. This is the prophet 700 years before Christ. He wrote this. He, meaning God, tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. And Isaiah 46, 4 says, even in your old age, God's saying, I will be the same. And even to your graying years, I will bear you. I've done it and I will carry you and I will bear you and I will deliver you. Not understanding, but trusting nonetheless. Truth is, Jesus himself said this, I am the resurrection and the life. We can risk hope and faith and love one day again because of him. It may be down the road a while because of grief and because of mourning. You know, grief will always be there, but a time of mourning will come to an end, and it may be years. One thing that I heard someone say who lost a loved one was, the grief is always there, but now it comes more gently. And that hit me hard and that gave me hope. Eventually, we can live through loss. Though I know when it's fresh today, we feel overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death itself. And if that sounds familiar to you, it's because Jesus himself confessed that in the Garden of Gethsemane. Facing his death, he said, I am grieved with sorrow to the point of death. In other words, he knows. Jesus knows. God knows. God has been there. John records in John 11 how Jesus wept over the grave of his great friend, Lazarus. God is not a God who is lofty and above it all, but is deep in the midst of our pain. The psalmist writes that the Lord is near the brokenhearted. Now, remember, as you're sharing this with your friend, as you're listening, your job is not to say all these things unless you have to stand up and give a speech. Your job is to model it, to not be giving advice unsolicited. When it comes to suicide, there's some things that the person's death does not say. When someone dies to suicide, and this might be news for some of us, because we tend to judge families who have been cursed by suicide. But we need to know when someone dies of suicide, and that's how you use the word, dies of suicide, what their death does not say is this. It doesn't say someone failed. The individual, their family, their friends, nor God. Blaming is not helpful, but it's typical. There are some things we cannot do for others. Chances are, if there's been mental illness associated with someone in how they're living their lives, oftentimes those people are managing it pretty well. They're even coming out of it. But then it hits. Many times the person who ends their life was getting help. 
But even so, the person's death does not mean someone failed. Another thing suicide does not say is this, that there is a way to escape the hell of life. In other words, you can run, but you can't hide. Regardless of what the marketing industry tells us, there is no escape from life. There is only deliverance. Hopelessness cannot be escaped. It can only be overcome. What death due to suicide does say is this. First of all, the mind is very complex. Science has so much to learn. What a death to suicide does say is this. Life is hell. Life is short. And we all need help to make it through. Even the quietest among us, even the most introverted among us, need help to make it through. Suicide is also a reminder that we are all hopeless apart from the love of God. There has to be some power, some love, some eternal resource, some comforter that transcends the transience of life. Though friendship and wealth and power are tremendous blessings, no one in their own strength can conquer the hopelessness that life brings at us. We try to mask it. We try to cover it up. We try to outshop ourselves from it. We try to run from it. But no one in their own strength can conquer hopelessness. And in times like this, times of suicide, people say, I need a friend. When people are struggling, when people are even despairing or contemplating this, people will say, I need a friend. And the truth is, we have a friend and his name is Jesus. He knows all about loneliness, disappointment, pain, betrayal, and death. Jesus cried for his friend Lazarus. Jesus cried with Mary and Martha. No one ever suffers alone, and no one can outcry God. God himself cries out of compassion and empathy. We saw this in Jesus' own life. But God also cries out of anger. It is not his desire that the people for whom he died should experience agony. We live in a world that is broken by sin. For us to deal with this tragic loss of a loved one, whether it's us personally or coming alongside friends who have lost a son or a daughter or a brother or a sister, for us to deal with this traffic, tragic loss of a loved one, suicide or not, for us to cope with life itself, we must come face to face with God himself. We face today and we face all the tomorrows, not alone, but with a loving, good God. Even if everything around us crumbles, and somewhere in the darkness, this truth will be enough to give us hope. Corey Ten Boom is a hero of mine. She's passed away now, but she was a girl during World War II. And Corey Ten Boom and her sister Betsy were part of a Christian family that was captured by the Nazis. They were abused in a concentration camp during World War II because their family hid Jews. Corey Ten Boom's sister Betsy died there, but Corey survived partly due to her sister's faith in Jesus, even in the midst of the concentration camp. It was in a Nazi crematorium that she said this, there is no pit so deep, but that God's love is deeper yet. A lot of people can't imagine their life without the person. Every morning, think about it. They wake up and they have to say, oh yeah, she's gone. 
every morning they wake up and they're reminded, oh my gosh, this person that I love is gone. That's, I think, where so much of the despair comes. You can't even think like what this could be about. But the question is, where do we go from here? The question of your friend who's lost a loved one, the question that you may have faced yourself is, where do I go from here? Here's some answers. Go ahead and cry. Hold each other. Cherish memories. Tell stories. But mostly listen. Where do we go from here? We thank God for the life of the person who was lost. We don't hold this, their worst moment, against them. Another thing we carry with us to go from point A to point B is this. We acknowledge our own mortality. You know, it's really here in America in the last 100, 150 years that somehow we deleted our own mortality from reality. Where do we go from here? We acknowledge that life can be hell. We acknowledge we're all one step away from deep pits of hopelessness. I once heard an, another preacher say this when there was a high school girl who took her life. He said, see yourself as a climber, not a runner. You know, there's so many running analogies to life. But the problem with running is you, you can do it by yourself, you think. Climbing is different. Climbing, you need someone. You need a partner. You need somebody to belay with you. So where do we go from here? See yourself as a climber, helping other people up and allowing yourself to be helped up by others. Our only hope is the love of Christ. Seize this opportunity to cultivate your relationship with him. He gives us hope. You know, it's funny, I, I realize this, the importance of me being discipled by others, the importance of me plugging in, everybody needs a group. And, and I think we don't just need any group, but I think that there's something to the power of the scriptures, the spiritual power of the Judeo-Christian Bible. And for me, I really look at Bible study like a support group. For me, Bible study is like a regular appointment with God's grace. I need an appointment for God's grace. It's as if I'm keeping an appointment with Jesus himself. One other thing to think about as you begin praying for, coming alongside of, being prepared to just sit and listen, practicing the ministry of presence with somebody going through a difficult time like this is this. Hear me now. God can heal our memories. We've talked about that on a couple episodes now. God can heal our memories, even the painful ones. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. In the Bible, it says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In other words, time is not a barrier for Christ. And so he can heal things from yesterday. He can heal things from years ago. Trust God, even with your damaged emotions and your painful memories. Most of the time, we trust God to help us find a parking place. We trust God to keep our children safe. We trust God, help me drive home safe tonight. Help me not hit a deer. But we can also trust God 
with our damaged emotions. We can trust God with our painful memories. Truth is, Jesus can heal everything that we give over to him, including our memories. But what he doesn't heal are things that we hang on to ourselves. Instead, we offer our lives, we offer our attention to him. Yes, our painful memories are damaged emotions. They'll always be there, especially the memories, especially when it comes to suicide. They'll always be there, but with God's help, we can offer even our pain and darkness and brokenness to him to help us through dark times. And with God's help and healing, these hurts can lose their sting. They'll keep coming at us, but they will lose their sting as we keep offering them to Jesus, as we come alongside as people caring for one another. And when that happens, then these memories, even when it comes to a suicide, they can lose the power that they have over us. And in this life, you can take your anger to God. Remember how we started out? Can I just say I'm so sad and I'm so mad and it's rotten. In this life, you can take your anger to God. He can handle it. We can take our hurts. We can take our wounds. We can take our expectations and we can share them with God. We can even take our losses and share them with him, including of our loved ones, including when that person horrifically takes their own life. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing this time with us. Thank you for being open to the fact that God has something to say in all of these dialogues and all these reflections. And thank you for representing to people going through difficulty, going through tough times, let alone something like a loved one who has died to suicide. With all that being said, I just want to close us in prayer. Almighty God, I thank you so much that you are God. I thank you so much that there is no pit of despair that we could be in that would be so deep that you're not ready to meet us in it. Lord, we lift up to you people who struggle. We lift up to you people who feel like they have no one. And we pray, God, that you would intervene. We pray, God, that you would bring us alongside them. We pray that you would open people's eyes to the love that is available. God, we thank you that in life and in death, you are God. And Lord, we thank you that though we may be helpless to prevent things, we can be helpful when they happen. And so we put our trust in you again. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today and I look forward to the next conversation. It'll be interesting to see what Marty has to say about what we've shared today. God bless you. Thanks for listening to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. You can check out the show notes from this episode, get free resources, discover more about our work, and all the ways to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the show. Head over to drmartinfletcher.com.